It's Frank DiCaro and Doria Biddle, live in Los Angeles. Joining us in the New York studio, coming back to our show, is the wonderful James Lassine. He is the writer and the star of a one-person play called The Absolute Brightness of Leonard Pelkey that's opened off-Broadway to astounding reviews. There, You could not, if he'd written the reviews himself, they might not have been as good as, as what he got for The Absolute Brightness of Leonard Pelkey. James, welcome to our show. Frank, it's so nice to be here. I'm so glad you're back. And boy, oh boy, you, if you had sat down and said, here, take a letter and written all the reviews yourself, it wouldn't have been this positive. God bless think. Charles Isherwood at the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> well, any of us who saw it, I mean, I saw the earlier incarnation when you did it at Afterglow. You saw the first si- time I ever did yeah. it. I, I, that, was, the, that was the first the, time I ever really? did it in Provincetown at the Afterglow Festival. And Sitting there, you were just like, uh, for me, I was sat there and I was like, oh my God, the, you just... Not, none of this surprises me from what I saw that first day mm. when you were doing it. It was just, it, it, it was astounding then, and I can't wait to see it off Broadway now. And it's, uh, so. it, it's much better um, lighting. <laughs> 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 I mean, really, let's just face it: we were performing in a bar. I mean, <laughs> in Provincetown, in a glorified bar, and we love the Crown and Anchor, but um, that's what it was. This is a little bit nicer setting, and you know, than Provincetown. What was the the inspiration for the absolute brightness of Leonard Pelkey? Well, you know, um, so I wrote a young adult novel in 2008 called Absolute Brightness. um, And it was basically the same story. It's the story of a 14-year-old boy who disappears from this little New Jersey shore town. You're from New Jersey, right? Didn't? Yes, I am. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from a northern New Jersey town called Little Falls. Oh, yeah, because I'm from northern New Jersey, too, from Hasbrook Heights. Sure. Yeah. And um, so anyway, I wrote this young adult novel, but it was told from the point of view of uh, this 16-year-old girl in the town. And I just, you know, I wasn't really finished with the story, I guess. And I wanted to tell the story to an adult audience um, just about the dangers and also the beauty of um, young people being their authentic selves these days, how difficult it is for them and how hard it is for them to get the support of the community around them. Um, So I wanted to actually talk about that to an adult audience. So I adapted it um, into this play. And um, it's told from the point of view mostly of the detective who's trying to figure out what happened to Leonard Pelkey, where'd he go? And I play him and I play all the people in the, not all the people, but I play a bunch of people in the town. But you, but you're the only one up there, and but your your precision with which you you draw each of the characters is it's it's such a, a virtuoso performance on top of how beautiful the writing is. I oh, mean, thank you. You know, it's just it's it's really it's it's so fun to watch you do. And I remember I asked you this last time when we spoke about the absolute brightness of Leonard Pelkey. I said about playing the female characters, and you said that that, that was an awful lot of fun as well. Well, you know, I, I think all of us have, you know, touches of female and male in us. And, um, you know, as actors, we actually get to access those parts of ourselves and to put them on display and inhabit them completely. Uh, you know, I do what I do without any kind of makeup or costumes or props, as you know. And so really, you know, kind of what I'm doing is just giving the audience the prompts to be able to use their imagination in a unique way. So they're kind of writing it with me. You know, I mean, I I just, I was thinking about this this morning, you know, every single person, like, has this ability 
from an early age to use their imagination in the most amazing ways. And a lot of times in the theater, you know, a lot of the work's done for you. You know, they do the sets, they do the costumes. and But me, I, <laughs> I let the audience actually design their own costume and do their own makeup and... Um, and and really imagine the, not only the uh, the person but also the place where it's taking place. But you fill that stage with so many people that it's almost hard to believe it is one. You know, when you remember back, and it's like, oh yeah, it was just just James Lacine doing it. It wasn't this this large cast of people uh, doing their thing. It I was, know the cast party is a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> one good Shake Shack burger and a and a and a and a concrete, and you're home free. So wait, so now with the new with the, the off Broadway production, there's music now by Duncan Sheik. How cool is that? How did that happen? Well, you know, after I left Provincetown, I did a little residency at a um, place up in Brewster, New York called Space on Rider Farm. And I did a little presentation of it, about 20 minutes of the show, and Duncan happened to be there. And uh, he came up to me afterwards and he said, I'm going to write the music for this. And I was like, well, there is no music. It's not a musical. And uh, he said, no, no, I think you're going to need like, you know, intro and outro music and underscoring. And, And so he really generously provided all this music for the show, which really sets the tone of it. And um, it's, it's just so beautiful. And then he wrote a song for us, and which closes the show. It's, it's really beautiful. So I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, people have been just really generous. I think one of the things is, is that they've been inspired by the story and by um, the need for the story to be out there in the world about young people and the world we live in now and how how challenging it is, not just for LGBT kids, but, you know, for all questioning teens, because all teens are questioning, you know, that's their job. Yeah, about who they want to be, whether it's about a sexuality thing or a gender issue or anything. It's just you're trying to figure out, you know, questioning is it's, that's what one does. At that age. good thing you were in that that uh, workshop with Duncan Sheik and not say Ted Nugent. You know, that would have been, <laughs> been <laughs> much better than when because you wouldn't want Ted Nugent to come up and say, "I want to write a song for you." Like, but thanks, but I don't. I, it's nice of you, but I it's, I'm busy. Thank you. I don't it's, think we'd want to do that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> that, that's pure luck. <laughs> yeah, it's better. It's it's just I'm glad it worked out uh, that way. We do. So, is w- how much is different now when, that when we see it off Broadway as to earlier versions of it? Is is it is it much different, or had it already gelled? Uh, I think it's uh, probably very stage? different. Not not very different, but I think it's different from when you saw it, um, which was the first time I ever did it, and you know, on my feet in front of an audience. And you know, now it's a lot more polished, I guess, and. I was searching around for some of those characters. I was kind of, a couple of them were a little bit sketchy, you know, um, at that point, and now they're much more fully embodied, and uh, I can trust them more on stage. I can just let them go, basically. I mean, I still stick to the script, but, um, you know, and the, the production value around it has risen so much, like the lighting and the sound, and it's just, it's an amazing team of people who, make me look good basically and well 
they're they're polishing a diamond because it's the stuff oh, you're bringing nice. to Thank it is you. no the stuff that you bring to it is really amazing i we've talked about it before and other people i know who know you have talked about it before the your writing is so strong that people that wasn't there a period there where people had forgotten that you're a ter- what a terrific actor you are that they'd been concentrating on the words uh that you'd been writing in other in novels and other things that you'd been doing and and then you did broadway and people were like oh my god he's we forgot how great he is as an actor that's what someone said to me anyway, oh well, that's with, a nice way to look at it the best <laughs> man they were like no they so when you did the best man on broad the gore vidal play people were like oh my god it's like the, it's, we forgot how great he is well it's also you know i think when you create your own work people um they, they you know they just think you're busy doing your own thing and so they don't think of you in that way they think oh he's he's doing his own thing um but of course you know you I, I think the irony of it is is that when i started out in the business i started doing this kind of work because i couldn't get work you know, I mean, I think it's important to note that when I was coming up, it wasn't exactly popular to be gay in show business. And I didn't really know how to do it any other way. Like, I didn't know how to leave it outside the door. I was just a big queen coming in and, you know, like, <laughs> and, and they'd be like, OK, thank you. And, you know, I had to figure out a way. You know, my first professional job in New York City uh, we're not going to do the whole career, but I just thought <laughs> the first <laughs> professional job was in a play called Cloud Nine by Carol Churchill, a brilliant sure. play. And I played a five-year-old girl and a black African manservant. But I knew it's not like that's rare. You don't get those kind of parts all the time, you know, and uh, they're on a call for those kind of things. So I just thought, well, I'm going to have to create something where I can work and do the kind of work that I really like to do and say the things that I really wanted to say. And then I think it just, over the years, I just got into the habit of creating those things because they were more satisfying. There are so many people who's who I uh, performers and writers who I worship that 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 is the story they've always told me. Someone like Harvey Firestein, someone like uh, Charles Bush. You know, they're like you have to that if you are if if in a business where they might not know what to do with you, or at least at the time we coming up, they wouldn't know. He said, you have to create your own opportunities and your own work and your own voice no, because you know, no my, one else is going to know what to do with but you. But nobody knows what to do with anybody because everybody's so unique. You, you have, one has to carve one's own path. You know, at my opening night uh, party for this show, um, the three people that I saw, uh, Julie Halston, Peter Bartlett, and Brian Batt, all three of them, amazing, amazing New York actors who have started with me, you know, many years ago in this business. And all three of them, unusual, all four of us. And I, you know, I gave this very impassioned speech to them. And I was like, you know, we really stuck it out. We made our way. And and Julie Halston, um, do you know Julie? I love Julie, okay. yes. Julie Halston said, yeah, we're like a virus, but the good kind, you know, they just can't get rid of us. <laughs> so we're like a virus. We just, you know, you just stick around long enough and basically, you know, you find your place because you're just so determined. Yeah, no, you got to keep on keeping on. We're talking to James Lacine about the absolute brightness of Leonard Pelkey, which is playing now off Broadway at the West Side Theater. And uh, I'm very excited on 43rd Street. And the reviews, the New York Times used words like remarkable and moving. I think that that's kind of what uh, exactly what you'd want to hear. So you've had a lot of um, amazing things. You know, the, you wrote uh, the screenplay for the Academy Award winning short film called Trevor and one of the founders of the Trevor Project. But um, this other thing. Th- 
being a must read in Italy. Tell me about that's amazing to me. What a fun <laughs> oh <my> thing. <laughs> You know, it, what's so incredible to me is that 25 years after I wrote that story of, of Trevor as a, as a theater piece in a downtown theater in Manhattan, this story, you know, it got made into a film, it got made into a book, and then it got translated into Italian this past year. And it just became this cause celeb at, in, in this young adult uh, book festival that I went to in Italy. And it was just amazing to me, you know, because Italy's a little behind the times in terms of gay rights. Um, yeah, especially with such a Catholic influence, too. As, and I say that as an Italian, you know, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's, and they're uh, just a little yeah. bit in stuck in the old way of thinking. And, you know, to see these young people take to this character of Trevor, not because he was, you know, he's gay, but because, you know, they understand the need to really be yourself no matter what. These, you know, and, and this one young girl stood up at one point in, in her sweet um, English with an Italian accent, um, which I'm not going to pretend to do. But um, <laughs> she she said to me, like, I, you know, I read Trevor. I love Trevor. Um, but I don't understand what the problem is. Like, why do people have such a hard time with the idea of gay people coming out? And I was like, have you spoken to your pope? <laughs> Have you spoken to your grandparents and your parents? You know, I said, look, you know, young people, their hearts are wide open. Their minds are open. And because, you know, they're basically the future. And, you know, so I don't worry about them. You know, I just worry about older people not listening to them uh, so much because they've got the idea. They know that this is the way of the future. It's the world they're going to be living in in, you know, 10 or 20 years, even in Italy. <laughs> well, I have to say, I I love the idea that you're on the list with Hans Christian Andersen, Roald Dahl, Nick Hornby, and uh, and J.K. Rowling. I think that's pretty great. I, I know. Think I, to, I, to be... I my the list that I really love to be on. I love to be on a bo- um, the band book lists. There was a while that Trevor was on a band <laughs> book list, and I was like, oh my god, I've always wanted to be banned. Like <laughs> it was so exciting to me. <laughs> and it's getting harder and harder to get that. Good thing you got it in under the wire. You know. We got... <laughs> <laughs> now, now they wouldn't people, dare. <laughs> no, they they definitely wouldn't. So are you st- are you still involved a lot with Trevor Project? Oh yeah, I will. Uh, you know, I'm always. It you know it. My heart is in that organization. Um, you know the work that they do, and you know as you know, it's a suicide prevention and crisis intervention lifeline for LGBTQ kids, and um, you know I I think especially as young people begin to come out younger and younger and they don't perceive um, what the problem is or what might be a problem for them. I think it's more important for the Trevor Project to be there for them. And though it's changing a lot in terms of the public perceptions, both, you know, for, you know, for all kids, I think that there are many places. I don't think it. I know it. There are many places around the country where you know, the Trevor Project, we're the only person that that kid can tell um, that they're gay or they're transgender or, you know, and they have nobody, no teacher, no parent, no guardian. Um, So, you know, there are a lot of places where I think the divide between the life a kid is living and the life they see portrayed out in the media, it's a it's a giant gap. They don't know how to they don't know how to get over that gap to begin to even live the life that they know 
that they are going to live someday. So I think what the Trevor Project does is really just provide them the kind of support and to listen to them um, while they're in this place of isolation, really, and uh, a lot of times depression. I was going to say, just because things are getting better doesn't mean that anything's over, you know, and that we can move on. We can't. And, you know, if people have to be there to, to, to look who's behind us growing up and, and say, you know, here, hold my, if you're scared, hold my hand. Come on, this will this will work out. And I think, you know, we all have that responsibility as a not only as gay people, but as a society in general. We yeah. really do have to 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 say, you know, come, come on, kid, watch this, you know, and, and show them the way uh, toward the light and say, you know, come on. It gets, you know, not only does it get better, it gets fabulous. for And then, but then it you just turn to, 40 you know, and it gets is, annoying, but still. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> but the thing that I always say is that it doesn't get better. You know, it's like people make it better. And, yeah, yes, you yes, know, we, it, it's up to us as, you know, this generation, especially, you know, whatever generation you are, that's older than an adolescent, to be able to reach back and to really take action to make it better for the next group of people that are coming up. I mean, I think one of the most amazing shifts I've seen in my lifetime is just that there is this conversation happening. I mean, I saw so many generations come into their young adulthood without any information. Me too. Like, there was no means to pass back history or to pass back support to a younger generation without it being creepy. And I think that one of the things that's happened in the past 20 years, certainly, is that we've found ways to be able to appropriately reach back to younger people and provide the support that they need. And I think it's one of the things that, you know, it's one of the reasons I did this show was to be able to talk about what is and talk about it in a funny way and in an entertaining way and moving way about like what are the responsibilities of a community to kids who are really different and challenging and uh, maybe a little problematic to the way that we think about kids, <laughs> which well, is James, all kids, really. <laughs> yeah. You're one of the people who, who has made things better and has, who's and, and in, you got to wake up every day and know that, you know, uh, in your time, you know, here you're continuing to make things lives better for people more than than just, uh, you know, in, in everything that really that you're doing and touching. So you got to be a little proud of yourself, I hope. And and uh, and you know, keep on keeping on doing uh, stuff on behalf of the community and, and making such beautiful art as the absolute brightness of Leonard Pelkey. So thanks for coming to see us again. And, thanks, and Frank. Can... Maybe we'll be bringing the show to L.A. after the New York run. And then we'll get oh, to actually sit in a uh, studio live together. We'll do that, but you're playing through October uh, at the West Side Theater mm-hmm. in New York City, at least, and then we'll, we'll figure out after that, and, and, and I can't wait to see you again. I can't wait to see this production of it, so uh, it'll be great. Uh, keep on knocking them dead, and, and I'll put a link up to absolutebrightness.com so that people can find out more about the show and about all that you're up to. Thanks for being with us, Mr. Thank James you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Always a delight.